0: Zinger Zapper is someone in this room. (gasps) To find the culprit, I'll put Zingers on this plate. (laughs) Devil's food with luscious chocolate icing, gold cake with dreamy vanilla, raspberry with coconut, and all with cream sinners. I'm gonna turn the light out and catch him red-handed. Okay, now we know who the
1: Zinger Zapper is. The butler? You blockhead. When you have Zingers
0: around, there's no escaping the Zinger Zapper. (laughs)
1: Rafer, what's that ad?
0: That's got to be Dolly Madison.
1: That's Dolly Madison indeed. And I even
0: recognize a little helium laugh of Snoopy. (laughs) Right?
1: So cute. So cute. We used to see a lot of those ads back when we were kids, didn't we, Rafer?
0: Boy, they sound like they're from a completely different era, don't they? Yeah, They sound like they're from the 30s or something. Yes. But they're not. They're from our own childhood. Yes,
1: from the 70s and 80s. And what's adorable about those commercials is it's back in the era where it kind of bled together the content that you were watching and the commercials.
0: Exactly. Because
1: the same characters that are in the special are in these ads and that whole era was so weird that way. And yeah. then a lot of the times they'd have little interstitials giving you health and safety tips. <laughs> I don't remember Do you remember that. those? No. Like Especially on Saturday morning specials or occasionally oh, sure. holiday specials, yeah. they would do that too. Where it's yes. like, if somebody tells you to get into their car, kids, remember, <laughs> if it's not your parent, don't get in the car. <laughs> That's right.
0: Only you can stop forest fires, Kristen.
1: Oh, all those things. And don't make the Indian cry. No, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Don't make the Indian cry.
1: Why would you do oh, that? Oh, Native American that? man hates it when you pollute. Yep,
0: that's oh, right.
1: God. Everything was so well-intentioned, but so problematic. <laughs> Those are the
0: old days of the old peanut specials, uh, peanuts for the spokes the spokespeople, spokes cartoons for Dolly Madison, and then later on for Metropolitan Life, right? Yes. Met Life.
1: Which, as kids, I always thought... This doesn't appeal to me, but Boring. I guess the parents watching with their kids care. <laughs> That's
0: <laughs> right. Well, if it's good enough for Snoopy, it's good enough for my family. Uh, Where well, we're talking about that because the first Peanuts feature film in, I think, 35 years is out this week, the Peanuts movie.
1: Yes, it is. And all the gang is back for that. We're going to talk about that movie today. And we're also going to be talking about another I guess you'd call it franchise that's been around a very long time, 007, James Bond and the new movie Spectre. We also have a couple of more historic pieces. One of them is looking at the suffragette movement in England during the turn of the century, and that movie is called Suffragette.
0: And then we also have Brooklyn, starring Saoirse Ronan as an Irish girl who leaves her hometown and comes over to Brooklyn in the early 1950s. So we'll talk about all of those uh, in just a minute. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday.
1: And I'm Kristen Mines, our culture producer for The Takeaway, and this is Movie Movie Date
0: Kristen, let's talk first about Suffragette, a new movie with Carrie Mulligan. She plays uh, a young woman named Maud Watts living in early 20th century London. She's a uh, a washerwoman, a laundry worker at a pretty horrible-looking laundry factory. Uh, one of her new co-workers, uh, Violet, played by Anne-Marie Duff, kind of a disreputable woman, a uh, little, uh, little little, bit of a down-and-outer, I would say.
1: Yeah, disheveled, lots yeah. and lots of kids. Lots
0: lots of kids, <laughs> Yes, uh, abusive uh, husbands. But she is a suffragette and kind of a secret suffragette at a time when uh, that was uh, looked down upon and at a time when that movement for women's suffrage was actually turning to violence and almost anarchist-style terrorism in a way with bombings of uh, post office boxes and other things. Maude Watts uh, gets sort of deeper and deeper involved in this. She meets the leader of the movement, Emmeline Pankhurst, played by Meryl Streep, and also a pharmacist who holds meetings in her uh, office, played by Helena Bonham Carter. Here's a clip.
1: We are fighting for a time in which every little girl born into the world will have an equal chance with her brothers. Never underestimate the power we women have to define our own destinies. We do not want to be lawbreakers, we want to be lawmakers!
0: These women were seen as disruptors of society, uh, which I mean, their initial cause, asking for the vote, was was seen as disruptive enough, and then here they were, you know, blowing things up. Now, I had certainly never known that the movement had ever turned towards uh, violence, um, and we're not talking about uh, uh, killing people or anything like that, but uh, towards I think what what was then at the time pretty shocking stuff: women uh, throwing rocks through uh, storefront windows, causing up post
1: boxes, yeah
0: causing property damage and things like that, which was, I think, pretty scary at a time when that kind of stuff was um, becoming a little more widespread with the uh, anarchist movements and things like that. The Haymarket Riot had not mm-hmm. been that far behind necessarily. Um, and so this was part of it, And which I thought was a really interesting premise for a film, especially now at this time when we're all very concerned about uh, terrorism.
1: Absolutely. And I think that the things that these women went through, it it was really extreme. We're talking about not just physical beatings, um, imprisonment, force-feeding. Force-feeding, yeah. Um, It's it's pretty vile stuff, and, you know, you look at some of those scenes, and you can't help but think about Guantanamo and other things happening in the world right now. And so we have all of that. But against all this political action, we also have personal stories, especially Maude's story of what she goes home to every day. She has her husband who also works in the same washing facility. We have her little boy. We have how her activism is affecting her marriage and what her husband is doing at home. And we see on a very personal level why women need to have a say in the world because when women don't have a say really horrible things happen to women, whether it's being a 12-year-old who's getting raped repeatedly by your boss at work or having your husband try to take away your parental rights. Uh, And so we see those things on a more personal level too, not just on a giant political level. And I think that is definitely to the movie's credit that we see that this is not just about ballots. It's about something much bigger than that. Sure. All that being said, I'd say the movie is not perfect. It has some problems.
0: What are those problems
1: in your opinion? I think that the movie ends in kind of a deus ex machina sort of way, yes. where the action does not lead to the outcome.
0: I agree and with And that you.
1: was my biggest criticism of this movie. If we were going to have the outcome we were in this film, then we should have been following the person whose outcome is instrumental to the change.
0: Yeah, uh, it it is, if you're familiar with this um, topic, a fairly well-known event that does lead eventually to a turning point in public sympathy for the women's suffrage cause. But it does come Completely out of nowhere, I did a little it bit. It doesn't
1: of, involve any of the characters we've been following for two hours,
0: right? Uh, I I did a little bit of research on it afterwards, just to kind of clarify it in my mind and the the facts of this event. And again, we're not going to spoil anything, but the facts of this event were were murky then, and seemed just as murky now in, in terms of the film's telling of it. And when it was all over, I kind of, I really did think to myself, what the hell was that? What. What just happened? And Mm -hmm. I was stunned to find out that it was a real event because it seems so, um, I don't know, just so botched and weird. Um, And, And
1: if the film was done differently, I don't feel that we would have been so shocked at the end. We would have thought this was the natural conclusion that we had to come to. Possibly. But it didn't feel that way in the movie. And it's a shame because everything up until that point is... Is pretty good stuff. I think. I think it's very I thought well it done. It was
0: kind of so-so even up until that point. This, oh. The screenwriter is uh, Abby Morgan, who uh, I have to say I haven't been that thrilled with her screenplays. She did The Iron Lady, and she also did Shame, mm. which was a screenplay that I actually had some real objections to. Um, but I feel that it was a little bit, a little bit pat, a little bit neat. The 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 narrative, for some reason, even though I know this is based in reality, and these were real things happening to real people. For some reason, the narrative just never quite pulled me in. I kind of felt like I always knew where it was going and how it was going to wind up. And I I don't know. Suffragette was just kind of a ah, just sort of not a not a very good date for me.
1: Mm, I felt that it was a pretty good date that then just went completely off the rails at the end. And I'm so sorry that that's what happened. I think this could have been much, much, much better. But one thing, though, I will say before we go. Yes. Before we move on to our next movie. I do like that at the end, we do get a reminder. They kind of list off major countries of the world and when they got their voting rights. And you might be shocked when you see some that. of those dates, when you see it's 1970-something before Switzerland lets women vote.
0: Right. Or 2015, while Saudi Arabia is considering it. Yes. Yes. It's that. In fact, I felt that that closing crawl almost made its point better than the whole movie that came before it. <laughs> do you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway, so yeah, I think, we, I think we're kind of in agreement on suffragette. So, Kristen, let's turn now to Peanuts. Tell me all about the new animated film, the first one in 35 years, Peanuts, the Peanuts movie.
1: Yes, and this does not look quite like the Peanuts as you remember them. It's more of a 3D animation sort of style of Peanuts rather than the flat sort of hand-drawn one that you would see during The Great Pumpkin or Charlie Brown Christmas. and So it looks a little bit different. But it is still all of the same characters. It has that great Vince Guaraldi music. It follows a lot of the same tropes that you're used to. You see, you know, the baseball mound. You see the psychiatric booth that Lucy sets up. Five cents. Yes. You see that Sally has a crush on Linus. You see all of these different things that you're used to. All the adults go wah, 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 wah. Okay, good. I'm I'm glad to hear that. So a lot of that stuff is back. And so is the plot. The plot is very familiar to anyone who's ever followed Charlie Brown. There's a new kid in town, the little redheaded girl, uh-huh. that he has a huge crush on from day one. And we don't know why. He just likes that she's a redheaded girl or yeah. he thinks she's pretty. We don't know anything about her qualities as a human being. <laughs> True. So she arrives and he decides, I want to win her heart. And he spends an entire school year trying to get her attention. Here's a clip.
0: There's a new kid moving brother, in. brother. Put yourself together. Come on, Charlie Brown.
1: This time, things will be different. of course meanwhile while he is pursuing the little redheaded girl we also have snoopy and woodstock going up you know their adventures their fantasy land the The red Red baron Baron. okay all of that fantasy stuff is still there and charlie brown is the more serious side of the story and of course snoopy is always the comic relief so we have that and we have charlie brown trying to get some respect because he always kind of feels like a loser and then are we going to see him get some love and is he going to be okay in the end and one thing I do have to say about all these Charlie Brown comic strips, movies, TV specials we've seen over the years, I've always thought that that was kind of depressing.
0: I'm glad you said that because there was actually a point in my life, I think during um, high school, uh, I was a huge, huge Peanuts fan. And I, was, and I would even continue reading Peanuts up through high school. Um, but there came a point when I could no longer go back and watch the old specials and read the comics and sort of go back and flip through all my old Peanuts collections. I don't know why. Maybe it's just adolescence and emotions, but um, they just started to get me down. They were too depressing, <laughs> and I went—I went on kind of a peanuts hiatus for a while because the, the storylines were just too. They just bummed me out. Yeah,
1: like things are never going to go your way, Charlie Brown. God, you're I never going to be able to kick that football. No one's ever going to pay attention to you. Everyone's going to laugh at you. You're not going to get any respect, and, and does, you're just going to keep muddling through. <laughs> does this film have a little twinge of that? Does it give oh, us a it happy ending, does. or what does it give us? I will not tell you exactly what happens in the end, but I felt it was a little bit pat and very anti-feminist. Hmm. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Two uh, quick
0: questions for you. Yes. Do we Does Snoopy do Joe Cool with the sunglasses or
1: not? <laughs> yes, he does. he does. He does. He does do Joe Cool, and he does some Joe Cool dancing as okay. well. Okay. All yes. right.
0: Good. Second question. Do we see the little red-haired girl?
1: Ooh. Do we see what part of her?
0: Mm, okay. We'll leave it at that.
1: <laughs> We'll leave it at
0: that. All right. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. Okay. Good enough. So you'd say Peanuts is what?
1: I'd say that Peanuts is uh, very loyal to the Peanuts franchise. And if you love what Peanuts was or you love your nostalgia about Peanuts, you're probably still going to have that special feeling watching this. But I think it's going to be too slow for kids. This Hmm. is at the same pacing of the old Peanuts stuff only. It's a feature-length film. Yep. And I'm I'm just not sure if today's kids will love Peanuts, but some grown-ups out there will.
0: All right, let's turn our attention now to Brooklyn. The
1: ah, year. Borough of Kings. The
0: Borough of Kings. Yes. Uh, this is back in the early 1950s, uh, 1951, 52. Uh, Circe Ronan plays Ailish. She's a young girl From County Wexford I won't even try To Irishize that Uh, She uh, sees that There's not much Of a future for her there Uh, She's working In a bakery shop Basically uh, Behind the counter For a a pretty crappy boss But uh, thanks to her sister Rose And to uh, Father Flood Played by the great Jim Broadbent She gets a chance To go to America And try to start A new life And uh, where else Does she land But of course In Brooklyn Along with all the other Irish immigrants Who are flooding in there In fact, one person tells her, you know, when you get there, try to go out and talk to people who aren't related to you. And uh, I thought that was a very funny
1: line. Here's a clip. I've enrolled you in a night class for bookkeeping at Brooklyn College. It'll be three nights a week, and I paid you tuition for the first semester. Why? Why? Not thank you. Sorry, thank you. Why? I was amazed that someone as clever as you couldn't find proper work at home. I've been here too long. I forget what it's like in Ireland.
0: Now, the drama in this story comes from the fact that uh, Ailish, while she's uh, trying to acclimate to Brooklyn, falls in love with an Italian-American kid named Tony, played by Emery Cohen. And uh, they, the two of them start a real relationship. But when a family emergency, let's say, calls her back home to Ireland briefly, she starts to maybe develop some feelings for another guy there in Ireland, one of her hometown compatriots, a guy that she feels close to because she's back on her home soil, played by Donald Gleason, and suddenly she's torn between her old life and her new life. Um, When I saw the trailers for this, I wasn't really expecting much from it. The story sounded kind of interesting, but it didn't sound like there was that much to it. Um, The the trailers made the film look very glossy and very handsome, um, but I wasn't sure it was going to really pull me in. I have to say, though, it really did. Um, There was something about this movie that I thought captured the feeling of being young, not quite knowing who you are, embarking on a new adventure, feeling pulled between your old life and excited about your new life, um, your relationship with your friends back home, your family, what's going to happen to those relationships? Uh, You're going to have to cut them in some way. Can you still keep them going? Um, What about these new people in your new life? Uh, What will they be to you? So much of it just had Every emotion that you feel when you're a young person, even if you're not doing something as momentous as going to a different continent to live, um, just that feeling of growing up and doing something new and coping with all the emotions of it, I thought it captured it so beautifully. What did you think?
1: I agree with you to a certain extent. However, I thought the feelings were very subdued. Mm. I remember being in my early 20s and feeling things were very intense all the time. <laughs> uh, okay. and, and she frequently is very subdued. She doesn't show a lot of intensity. Falling in love with Tony, she's not throwing herself at excitement with him. She's no. very calm with him all the time. That's
0: part of her personality. She's, yeah, a, she's, she's a little... always
1: very calm mm-hmm. and very even-tempered. And, yes. And including with her... Caddy girls that in her boarding house, she's, Yes, she's very calm with them. She's very calm at work with her very strict boss and everything's always very calm. And in that way, I think that maybe it atmospherically looks like coming of age, but her reactions are so calm most of the time. Huh. And all that being said, I still think she's very likable. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I do, yeah, and I do think she's part of the reason why this film works. It's, it's very beautifully shot. The costumes are great. But there's something about her that's very enjoyable to watch, and you're rooting for things to go her way. You, yes. You want things to go her way. I will warn folks out there that a lot of this is just going to feel – like stuff you've seen before, though. You, you are going to have the Italian-American family with too many brothers eating spaghetti. You yes. are going to have the Brooklyn boys who just can't do anything but talk about the Dodgers. Right. You yes. are going to have the girls at the boarding house. You are going to have the Irish priest who welcomes you to America. Yes. A lot of these things are going to feel like, is this worth watching? Because I've seen all of this before. And I'd say the reason why it's worth watching is because of that moment that she has to go back to Ireland and what happens and the tension that begins to happen at that moment.
0: I also thought this movie was beautifully written. It's based on the book by Colm Tobin. I hope I'm pronouncing that somewhat correctly. And um, the screenplay was written by Nick Hornby from High Fidelity and About a Boy. I think the dialogue is just wonderful in this. And even though I know what you're saying, that there's a few pat moments here and there— I think just the wit and the sparkle of the words I, just really carried me through it. And also I just think Circe Ronan is so good in this. I think she's just wonderful. There are these long lingering shots on her face where you can see all the emotions that are playing around in her mind. And um, I just – it pulled me in uh, even though I know what you're saying. You've seen it before. It's a little bit of a uh, – in terms of a dramatic arc, it's a little on the low side. It's not sort of a high a high hump, you know. But um, but I loved it. I thought Brooklyn was one of the best movies I've seen uh, this year. Really? Yes. Wow. I, I just – I adored it.
1: I wouldn't say it's one of the best movies I've seen this year, but I'd still say it was a very good date. All right. I would. And, and, um, I'll and take a, that. And especially good date if you want some nostalgia and if you want some romance and if you want just some beauty. So, yes. Yes. Good date for those reasons. All right, well, stay with us, because we have more coming up, including a retrospective on James Bond and his illustrious life and adventures. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. And Rafer, we have yet another James Bond movie out this week. That's right. We've had several of them over the... decades (laughs)
0: that's right we've had quite a few over the decades Uh, and we thought uh, before we go into our thoughts about Spectre and this sort of new James Bond that we've got these days we might take a look at the James Bond going back through history throughout the ages so James why did
1: you come I came here to kill you and I thought you came here to die Well, it's all a matter of perspective.
0: That's Daniel Craig as Special Agent James Bond in the thriller Spectre. It's movie number 24 in the series, number 26, depending on who's counting. James Bond is celebrating his 53rd year in the movies, the longest-running figure in Hollywood history.
1: You have a nasty habit of surviving. You know what they say about the fittest?
0: Now, what makes James Bond so enduring? After all, he isn't much of a character. Aside from his drinking habits, we know almost nothing about him. That's the way he was written by the British author Ian Fleming. He imagined James Bond as a blunt instrument, and he gave the character the simplest, most boring name he could think of. Bond, James Bond. And that, of course, is Sean Connery as the very first James Bond in Dr. No from 1962. Connery played Bond as a lone wolf in a tailored suit, a combination of chivalry and cruelty. Connery played James Bond in seven films, including this classic from
1: 1964. Gold finger. He's the man, the
0: man with the mightest touch. And Connery also squared off against one of the most famous villains ever, Ernst Stavro Blofeld.
1: James Bond. Allow me to introduce myself.
0: I am Ernst Stavro Blofeld.
1: They told me you were assassinated in Hong Kong. Yes, this is my second life. You only live twice, Mr Bond.
0: Now, you know Blofeld. He's the guy with the white Persian cat. He's so memorable that Mike Myers still got mileage out of him 20 years later in Austin Powers. Here he is as Dr. Evil.
1: I have one simple request, and that is to have sharks with frickin' laser beams attached to their heads. Now, evidently, my cycloptic colleague informs me that that can't be done. Uh, Can you remind me what I pay you people for? Honestly, throw me a bone here.
0: Over the decades, James Bond tried to keep up with the times. In the 1970s and 80s, he was played by Roger Moore. Then came Timothy Dalton, then Pierce Brosnan. Then came September 11th, which changed everything, even the movies. Does it depress you, Commissioner,
1: to know just how alone you really are?
0: After 9-11, superheroes like Batman there rushed in to save the day, but even they couldn't escape our new dark reality— Batman became the Dark Knight. Spider-Man became a bummer. Even Superman, for the first time on screen, took a human life. So with Daniel Craig as our new James Bond, it's no surprise that he sounds a little more serious.
1: Where the hell have you been? Enjoying death. 007 reporting for duty. From the Cold
0: War to the War on Terror, James Bond has always been our go-to guy for some light-hearted action and entertainment. So how is Hollywood trying to keep him relevant? Is this new James Bond the right one for our era? We'll talk about that in a minute when we review Spectre. Spectre.
1: Rafer, thank you so much for that great retrospective on James Bond, the man, the mystery, the license to kill, all of those things. A little James Bond
0: 101 there.
1: (laughs) Which is great, because with over 50 years of James Bond, it's nice to know where we came from and where we are right now. And in this new movie, Spectre, he is fighting a secret force of bad guys. Spectre is the name of this secret force of bad guys. Meanwhile, Back on the home front, M is trying to keep MI6 together because, you know, political stuff, bureaucracy. Merger with MI5. Yeah. So we have that occasional thing going back to the home front. But mostly we're following James Bond. Is James Bond going to be able to break this open? How many women is he going to sleep with along the way? How many martinis is he going to drink? By the way. (laughs) His martinis are dirty in this movie. Yes, I noticed that. I was
0: very offended.
1: <laughs> I, I know, was very offended. Kinder, you're by that. a major martini man too, well, and he I... also takes vodka martinis, which I know you do not approve of.
0: I do not approve of that, and I don't understand why James Bond, a Cold War British spy, would be drinking a Russian spirit, <laughs> especially when when London dry gin is the quintessential English liquor. <gasps> I don't get that. And don't dirty them up. Anyway, that's alright. That's you know. And look, in the last one he drank Heineken, right? So what are you gonna say? You
1: never know what he's gonna do, that James Bond. <laughs> but you do know he's gonna do this.
0: Well, I can tell you that I don't trust
1: you. Well then you have impeccable instincts. If you don't
0: leave now, we'll die together.
1: I can think of worse ways to go.
0: Then you're obviously crazy, Miss Sir Bond. James.
1: Bond. Ah, there he is with Monica Bellucci, the very gorgeous Monica Bellucci, who was getting a lot of attention before the film came out because ta-da! James Bond has a woman his own age for once in a movie. I kind of noticed that. I which was surprised. I love. It's like, why does James Bond always have to be with women who are young enough to be his daughter? Because that's kinda of gross. Like in Speak, real life Speaking of which, here comes Leia Sedu. <laughs> As the second Bond girl. Yes, yes, that's right. So she's in this movie for most of it. Monica Bellucci, unfortunately, isn't in the movie for more than 10 minutes. No,
0: she's a she's a tangent.
1: She is. A tangent that helps him get clues, though. That's right. That's so. right.
0: <laughs> it's, it's a quick booty call.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, Rafer, what did you think of all this?
0: Well, uh, the thing is, I like Daniel Craig. I want to say that from the outset. I like Daniel Craig as James Bond. I think he looks the part. He fits the part. He walks it. He talks it. I love him, um, and uh, I like Sam Mendes as a director, and I like some of the old-fashioned touches that he brings to this movie, uh, particularly the, the the great-looking sets, uh, great costumes, uh, a very um, there's a lot of romance, a lot of old-fashioned romance. I was very pleased to see that when James Bond and Madeline Swann, which is Lea Seydoux's character, when they are fleeing on a train, uh, escaping the bad guys from Austria to, I think, Tangier, uh, they didn't forget to bring their evening wear and they, sh- and they show up and have a, have <laughs> a few totally drinks in the dining that. car. I'm,
1: I'm like, how did that happen that they each have, like, she's got, like, a baby blue silk gown and he's wearing a white suit, a
0: white tux? Well, they, 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 try, they try to uh, foreshadow a little bit when he uh, presents his suit to the uh, the little concierge that says, press this for me. <laughs> and I thought, Oh, well, that explains that, of course. Um, where that suit comes from, we have no idea. But I like those little touches. I like the romance. Uh, I will say this movie opens up with what may be one of the best opening gambits oh, in a Bond film totally I have agree. ever seen.
1: It's the Day of the Dead. It's Mexico City. We have everybody with their masks walking around dressed as skeletons. It's just gorgeous and beautiful. Single tracking shot from the
0: crowd scene into a hotel, up an elevator, into a top floor room, out the window,
1: Walking onto down a ledge. the ceilings or wa- walking down the rooftops. Amazing. Jumping in and out. I mean— the- it, it's so beautiful. This it's movie so
0: beautiful. is uh, reportedly uh, one of the most, if not the most, expensive movies ever made with a budget of $300 million, reportedly. Um, and it looks to me like $295 million of that was spent on the opening scene. <laughs> and, and it was great. It's the best well part spent. of the
1: movie, by the way.
0: It's incredible. Well, you know, the... I
1: shouldn't say by the way, because you might disagree with me, but that was my favorite part of the whole movie.
0: It's amazing, and I think it kicks the, the movie off wonderfully. And I think for the first two-thirds of this film, Film, it's got the feeling of a good old-fashioned Bond movie, and then right around the maybe hour fifty mark, things start to go a little south. And
1: so much exposition, so much explaining, so much seriousness. Well, I think the problem
0: is that um, this film is trying to introduce a major new slash old villain in Christoph Waltz, who plays Oberhauser, and we won't say too much more about that because that's not his only name that he's known as, um, but Oberhauser has this long history and this long backstory, and uh, uh, and a history and a backstory that I felt came kind of out of nowhere and seemed a little ridiculous to me in the Bond universe, which I guess we have to now call it, um, and it seemed to me like they were trying to marvelize this movie, mm. by making Bond into a, a kind of superhero who has an emotional life, a backstory, a family history, old ghosts, old demons. That's not the Bond that I want. That's not the Bond that I've ever loved. I love the vague, unsketched, unknown Bond who appears in a standalone adventure every few years, knocks my socks off, gives me a great time, and disappears till the next one.
1: I want him to be more fun, frankly.
0: And more fun. You want more fun. You felt this movie was too serious? Yeah,
1: Sam Mendes. I just don't want him to be directing these movies.
0: Because he's too kind of uh, moody, too atmospheric.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I want somebody who's going to say, this is ridiculous. Let's have a great time with us. This is a guy who... Daniel Craig said this in a recent interview. He's a misogynist. Let's just have a guy who is just being a misogynist all the way, being ridiculous. All he cares about are, do my cuffs match my coat in the right way? Who can I shoot next? Which woman can I sleep with? Give me another martini. And I don't need him to be so moody all the time.
0: Yeah. No, I have to agree with you. Um, it's interesting, too, though, isn't it, that Daniel Craig has been making all this noise about wanting to get out of his bond contract and how he's starting to hate these films. That's actually happened to almost all the bonds over the over the history of the film. Sean Connery grew to hate the character. Uh, George Lazenby, the one, the one, the one-time bond. Just once. Just yep. once. George Lazenby bowed out of that, whether he was jumped or pushed, I don't know. But he bowed out of that before that movie was even released. Uh, you know they all get sick of it, um, and so I do kind of wonder if maybe there is another bond around the corner or not i i, I don 't know
1: oh, are you speculating that this could be the end of the james Bond universe no,
0: no, uh, not the james bond universe i 'm just wondering if if another bond or perhaps another reboot or something might be around the corner. where Bond goes from here i don 't know but i I found this film to be. Yeah, a little, a little heavy-handed. I think the last 40 minutes or so of it is oh. just a complete mess. And I think the film can't find its tone between the old-fashioned, glamorous, light-hearted Bonds and the new, tortured, emotionally heavy, superheroized Bonds. And um, I think it's a little stuck between the two. And personally, I like the old junky stuff better. <laughs>
1: Me too. <laughs> yeah, not such a great date.
0: Okay, Kristen. We close out with trivia. Tell us what last week's trivia was.
1: So last week, we were talking about journalists in the movies because we were talking about the movie Truth. Right. We played a clip of another movie with another journalist and asked you to identify it. Here's the clip.
0: Hi, where's uh, Mrs. Stanley? Is her cabana, señor. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to meet her. That's cabana six, right? Cabana one. One, right. You would like something to eat or drink, senor? Actually, I would.
1: Charge it to the underhill, senor. Yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, do you have any caviar? Si, senor, peluga, but it is $80 a portion. Well, well, then I better just take two portions of that. Uh, How's the lobster thermidor? I recommend it, senor. Good, that'll be fine. Bring two bottles of uh, Dom Perignon to Cabana One. Very good, senor. And put down $30 for yourself, huh? Muchas gracias, senor. Nicest place. Who is that journalist? What is that movie? We got lots of right answers, and here's the one we picked. Hey, guys, it's John Coptiston. No, it's really Cassie in Brooklyn. The answer to the question is Fletch. It's one of my all-time favorite movies, too. Uh, anyway, love you guys. Bye. Well, what is she talking about there, For John, John Cocktail?
0: John Cocktowson. That's uh, <laughs> one of uh, Fletch's, uh, played by Chevy Chase. That's one of Fletch's many pseudonyms, including uh, Nugent, Ted Nugent. Uh, great job, Cassie. Thank you for uh, throwing a little Fletch uh, trivia in there, Cassie from Brooklyn. Fletch with Chevy Chase. It's just a marvelous film.
1: All right. And what do we have for this week's trivia question, Rafer? Well, we were talking
0: about Brooklyn with Circa Ronan as an Irish girl who moves to Brooklyn and finds a new life and flourishes. And it's not all easy, but, uh, you know, but it's America and she's going to make it work. Uh, we thought of a, another Brooklyn film that you might call sort of the opposite. Here's a clip.
1: Loretta Castorini, will you marry me? Yes, Ronnie. In front of all these people, I'll marry you. Do you love him, Loretta? Ma, I love him
0: awful. Oh, God, that's too bad.
1: Oh, I just love that movie so much, Reefer. That's not your
0: mother's Brooklyn right no, there. No,
1: it's not. Or is it? Oh, well, maybe it is.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you know what that movie is, that Brooklyn-based movie, give us a call, 5717MOVIES.
0: Or you can write to us at facebook.com slash podcast.